incarceration dwells here. And then we moving by the pack, so we moving them. And even if you don't, then you do, cause you cool with them. They be like, I only went to school with them. So welcome to Color Correction, a jesus kind of podcast about race. That's what I said last week, because we had been saying a podcast about race and religion. Well, we mean Jesus when we, we say religion. We do mean Jesus. Yeah. We, we, don't mean, we don't mean anything else. <laughs> I think it works. Yeah. Okay. I like a jesus podcast. Yeah. All right. Um, Deliver it with gusto. We're here. Uh, where was I? Chris is back with us this week. He's back from vacation. <laughs> hey, I Chris. Wish we could hey. dub in applause. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My name is Andrew. I'm an Asian man. Uh, I use he, him, his pronouns. I'm Bethany. I'm a black woman, uh, and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Chris. I'm a white man. I use he, him pronouns. So what we're going to do today, we promised that we'd return to Chris after he talked to his family. We're going to talk about that a little bit, and then maybe we'll just do a little bit of a retrospective about how we feel everything has been going, because mm. it's been going... about two months into the podcast? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah about... We yeah. are. I think yeah. we've been out there for two months. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Amazing. So to briefly review, a few episodes ago, we were talking about how uh, we deal with racism when it pops up. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our Facebook feeds and also in our real lives. And we were kind of using your experience, Chris, as a springboard because you had this particular experience with your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I remember going back through my, my – or just seeing stuff in my news feed coming from my dad specifically. Some some more what I would say like vitriolic posts about like a couple of the the freshman senators who've gotten a lot of – Heat for their dissent from both their both their Democratic Party and and the president, and they they happen to be women, and they happen to be women of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw some I saw some of his posts that were like not speaking favorably of them. One of them was a was a cartoon, and now I've gone back through that Facebook feed, and I don't know what I saw, but it but regardless of like the mistake I think I made in in what I saw coming off of his feed, we had some really good conversations about Trump, about about how he sees the things that, like, Trump says and does differently than I do. Uh-huh. Um, Wait a second. So there was never anything on his feed? I went back, and I could not find the stuff I could have sworn I saw. You saw something. You're yeah. not, like, a madman. I mean, there's a reason you think that your dad would hold those ideas. It's definitely because I don't remember him having this much to say politically in any of the other presidencies. Mm-hmm. And of course, like social media has also evolved in the, in the time our last couple of presidents have been around. But in any case, like he's just been a lot more vocal in support of Trump than I've seen. Okay. So there was that. And yeah, like it's not an easy thing for me to separate racism from Trump. Like I, I do, I do think they're mostly synonymous. Yeah. Those things are inseparable. Yeah. Trump, Trump exists in the way that he does right now and in the capacity he does in America because of the evolution of American racism and people feeling stifled for so long. And he finally he finally paved a path for all those racist freedom friders that right. went there. He says whatever everybody else is thinking. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. So, uh, so we did get to talk about that. Like we get to, we did get to talk about like Trump's actual words. Um. 
in particular, um, his his comments to the freshman four, telling them to go back to their countries and fix the problems in their own countries, which is hilarious because three out of the four of them were born in the U.S. in this country. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. And if you haven't gone some, through some kind of a yeah, process, yeah. so wait, so what so did anyway, your dad say about them in the first place? Um, my dad just has a lot of issues with. Um, Okay. Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's um, ideas uh-huh. for for how to how to progress the country, and she's young. She's twenty nine years old. She's one of the youngest congressmen. Mm-hmm. Um, nineteen ninety. Shout out. Yeah. What? Yeah. You can be in Congress if you were born in nineteen ninety. That blows my mind. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> so he doesn't agree with her her ideas. But I don't, I, I, like, we didn't actually get into this. I don't know why he's so hard on her in particular. Um, well, how did you approach your dad in that you wanted to talk about this in the first place? Or did I you just bring it up? I was going to ask that, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm a details girl. Yeah, like, totally. Yeah, let's hear the whole thing. Um, well, <laughs> like, the, the, the wheels really got rolling when, um, when he posted, a, when he reposted a poll that a, that a friend of his had put out there. She, she, did, she made this poll, and the, and the question was... Is Trump racist? It's a yes, no. Did she originate that? Because I have no I, idea. That, I feel like you that know, like, was going around the country somehow. Yeah, it probably wasn't her. Okay. Like she probably answered it, and 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 once you answered it, it shows up on your feed. Yeah, with your answer, and the and the question. So like she answered it, my dad answered it, I answered it, and then and then actually like this is in the car ride on my. My wife's on my way to their house in Vermont from Philly. Like that, like I'm starting to get this this stuff in. So like, there's something building, but we can actually sit down and talk about it. And we did. Like we had like a like a Sunday morning coffee conversation where I brought up all the things he said about the freshman four. He said about the mayor of Baltimore. Um, I don't understand sometimes how white people don't see how harsh their views on um, people of color and leadership are probably rooted in racism. Right. Like, does he talk about Elizabeth Warren in the same I brought way? that up. Yeah. I brought that up. I was like, when has he ever said that about Bernie Sanders? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, when it has he ever told like Bernie Sanders distaste. and Elizabeth Warren to go back to their country? That's not right. a thing you say right. to a white person. Yeah. Wait, so how did he respond to that when you brought that up? He he was quiet and, and like chewed on that. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, like he didn't argue with me on that on that point. Uh-huh. Um, so where my dad is coming from is Trump is just an asshole. Like he's he's, he's an equal opportunity asshole. Basically, but it's not as deeply evil uh-huh. and sinister and racist as people make it. Right. Okay. Right. Well, and I also feel like that's. The view that Trump is just an asshole is a view that white people get to have. But for me and like Andrew and Mm -hmm. lots of other people, his rhetoric can change our lives. Yeah. Like because his rhetoric is really empowering a lot of people to do violent things. And there's not the disconnect. People try to act as if there's a disconnect between his rhetoric and the violence that's happening to people of color. Right. And there is not a disconnect. And that's yeah. really frustrating. Yeah. There gets to be a disconnect for white people. There does there is not a disconnect for the rest of us. Yeah. I'm 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 glad you're saying that. Yeah. But I mean that disconnect is rooted in the idea that white people have that racism requires animus or requires it has to be much more direct 
until for, you use like until them. you use the N word, you're not a racist. Yeah. Which is so frustrating because that's like a really high bar. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Uh-huh. Right. Like there's usually a lot of steps that before the N word, right? Like that should not be the threshold. Right. Uh-huh. And then that leaves out a lot of people. Anyway, so <laughs> yeah. So obviously that's 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 white people love that plausible deniability. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, did that? Well, I mean, how, so how did the conversation with your dad go, though? It, it's like it's ongoing, but where? But these are things like like what you just said. I'm like, it doesn't even matter if if Trump isn't racist. Like, if we even could put that to decide, I don't think we can. Mm-hmm. What he says from his position of power is permission to people who really do think this way in really systemic ways. Like that gives permission to. Not just not just like one offs like we're seeing all the time right now, but also like other institutions of power, like police, mm-hmm. like the judicial system, mm-hmm. like those kinds like like immigration. Right. You know, like all all that is is permission, whether or not you mean it as racist or whether or whether or not you have the capacity to to see yourself that way. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter. I think this part of the conversation is going to be tough to edit because part of it, we're talking about your relationship with your dad. Yeah. We're also talking about the president himself. Mm. Because I don't actually think I've answered your question, how did the conversation go? We've (laughs) talked a lot about what you talked about and also why you felt it was a moral imperative to talk to your dad about these sorts of things. Yeah. And I I could probably say some more about the moral imperative. Uh Yeah. I mean, you're, the angle yeah. that you're coming from it is a perspective where the president, Donald Trump, um, <laughs> is a racist and mm-hmm. empowering other racists. Yeah. So seeing your dad support that person mm-hmm. is wounding to you because you don't like to think of your dad as somebody who is a racist or supports racists or racism. And when my dad knows that I think of him as a racist, it's wounding to him too. Right. Do you feel like you have a you and your dad have a better understanding now that you've had all these conversations? Yeah, I do. I do, That's especially great. um especially after our last conversation coming in into this recording. Uh, my dad knew that we were going to come back to this conversation. He's actually sent me a couple emails and we we did a little bit of email correspondence back and forth until f- two nights ago when we um when we had a conversation. So like we kind of had like a body of work we were drawing our conversation from. Like we got to think out what we we're going to say, and then we talked, mm-hmm. which worked for us. I mean, like it was kind of at the point for me where we can't keep going back and forth in a, in a in a document, but we did get to prepare. We got to laugh at like how absurd some of the emotional content in the document got, um, and we also got to just care for each other through a difficult conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I feel like I'm a lot more open to having more of those kind of kind of conversations with my dad now. That opened up some doors. That's really wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe every now and then we should have a Chris report. <laughs> Cuz I don't know what else we can say. That sounds like the ideal the ideal outcome. Yeah. I mean, you might not have gotten to agreement and right. you might never get to agreement. Right. But you the prospect of dialogue isn't scary. It's a lot less. It feels a lot less dangerous than it did mm. at, the, at the start. Like, I'm not afraid of being wounded, 
and I'm not afraid of wounding my dad. Mm-hmm. And even if that happens, like we can talk about it. All right. Cool. We're six episodes in at this point. This is episode number six, right? This is six. Yeah. So we've had five, which is a kind of a milestone. That's mm-hmm. pretty good. Five episodes of mm-hmm. pretty good conversation. Well, look, maybe we can just center the joy of talking about race and talking about our faith in Jesus and how mm-hmm. we've been able to do that in mm-hmm. the last two months. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's a joy that doesn't necessary, necessarily center around whiteness. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. we're just doing a thing, trying yeah. to help other people that are following Jesus. Yeah, totally. And trying to be anti-racist. That's mm-hmm. right, great. Yeah. Yeah, that I mean that's been that's been good. I don't know what how much do we have to say about that. I guess that's it. That's it. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> We're done. Nice. It's been great. <laughs> I like it. Well, what's the feedback then on let's start with the first episode where we talked about the use of the word person of color and uh-huh. how it's sometimes used to unite. Right. Um and then sometimes it's just used to erase. Right. right. Does that feel like a good way to go about recapping yeah let's do that because um, that first episode people really liked that first episode uh which where the audio quality was considerably worse because we were still recording in my kitchen <laughs> then um but you know what's funny to me is that people have come up to me and been like after listening to your episode i never used the term person of color and i'm like that's that's you totally missed the point of that whole thing <laughs> Um, How did you miss the entire point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you try? Like, did you try to miss the point? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, what? Do, what do they mean? Like, in, in any situation? I guess. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, I think they really latched on to Bethany. What you were saying about how it it doesn't make sense to use per, the term person of color when you're talking about black people, and I think they just latched on to that and was just like, all right filed away don't use person of color (laughs) right i think one of the things we're trying to do with this podcast is get away from that viewpoint of what's right yes versus what's not right right Mm -hmm. which is really a world that pretty much only white people can live in yeah whereas the rest of us are always dealing with stuff that's not quite right or it isn't getting us quite there but it's good enough to help us survive or get through yeah or help us organize or something I always feel like white people want to live in a world that is like either black or white while the rest of us live in gray. And we are totally comfortable with navigating the gray. Mm, yeah. Um, and I think that's one of, been one of the objectives of this podcast, which I think we've done a, a decent job. I mean, I hope that we've been able to convey that ethos that talking about these things is messy. Yeah. And there's not always a right thing, you know, mm-hmm. like the term person of color is useful in some contexts and mm-hmm. not useful in others. Right. Or like the concept when we were talking about reparations, what does reparations look like? There might be different ways of looking at reparations. Mm-hmm. Or in our episode about um, about surprise racism, mm-hmm. just like we were talking about with your dad, what is the situation where you're trying to work something out with someone? What's the situation where, where that relationship is no longer fruitful or healthy right. there's a lot of gray yeah yeah i mean we we definitely that interested that that episode was interesting to me because of the different um, responses each of us can have to to the same basic content when it's coming through our social media feed mm-hmm. it, and it's it's widely different i feel like i learned a lot from from hearing those Mm-hmm. Wait, from hearing what? From hearing re- the like the reasons each of you has oh, okay. for the way you respond to things coming through your social media feed, whether that be to like 
ignore them, um, defriend them, which is which is so interesting. Like, I mean, I guess one of the things that's interesting to me is it actually makes total sense. That, like, you, you don't defriend them in other the real sense, like their family. You just don't follow them on Facebook. They're not the same thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, I know I know that somewhere, but it's still really good to hear. I don't have to be I don't have to be dragged around by my social media feed. Mm-hmm. Like that's not where I have my relationships. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like, it's a good reminder. Yeah. I what else do we want to say about well, I mean that can be like a real quick we're still doing this and we enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I it's mean fine. like so the I mean the the impetus for this came out of actual conversations we were having over lunch hours. This is an extension of something we were already doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um I really like that part. I, I know our origin story and how this came about, and I love, I love seeing us here and still having these conversations. Yeah. <laughs> Albeit, it's, it's a little more awkward in front of a microphone. <laughs> I am still getting over that. I feel like the first five minutes is always awkward for me, and then I get used to I'm it. Just like, I, I bob around when I talk. I have a metal water bottle. I can't sit still. <laughs> <laughs> and that must be hell on Andrew to edit. <laughs> Uh, I mean, listening to I've I've gotten really in, really intimately familiar with all of your voices and your breath sounds. <laughs> um, so no, I I want to keep doing this. I'm, I'm I hope we keep hearing from people. I we we do have an email. Uh, I guess you can make comments on um on iTunes, right? Yeah, you can leave a review on iTunes. If people want to engage with us, you can, you can email us at circlemobilizing at gmail dot com or the Circle Mobilizing Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if we would love for people to engage us totally, on that Facebook page. Totally. Yeah, you'll probably um, end up in the podcast if we if you leave a comment. Yeah, Ooh, that's a we, little uh, incentive. We see you, Canada and Ireland. Uh-huh. Come talk to us. Yeah, thanks for listening <laughs> to this weird Philadelphia podcast. I don't know what you get out of it. Um. I I talked about this in our cell group. Um, if you're wondering what a cell group is, our church, Circle of Hope, has these weekly meetings in different places and different spaces throughout the city um, because we think Jesus is best met um, while you're meeting other people mm-hmm. in intimate settings. It's an opportunity to grow deeper. Um, but I talked about this in my cell group on Thursday that I want to keep creating spaces to love people practically where they're at. And we kind of talked about this last week in the episode where we talked about harm reduction, where Jesus was just meeting people where they were at. Um, And I think this podcast is a really good way of meeting people where they're at. Like maybe you're in your car listening to this. Maybe you're at your desk at work. Um, But I want to love you enough to have these tough conversations with my friends. And like Chris is having it with his dad um, to help you grow and go deeper with God. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So tell us where you're at. Yeah. We want to love you. Cool. <laughs> um, so well, let's move into our last segment here. What are you into this week? Mm-hmm. Bethany, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Um, I I keep struggling to think of what I'm into, but I've been really into my Fitbit this week. Um, mm, nice. I, I got think... a Fitbit for my mom, and she dropped it in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> They're waterproof, though. Uh, apparently not the one I got her. <laughs> <laughs> That is unfortunate. Totally an accident. I totally would have wanted to add your mom on Fitbit so we can do competitions and stuff. 
Um, but yeah, I've been getting back into like fitness and working out and Fitbit is a really good means of like tracking my movement and seeing how many calories <laughs> I burned and how much weight I've lost. So nice. I'm loving my Fitbit. This so week. how many steps did you get in, in that hour? You were going up and down. I ended the day with 15,166 yes. steps last wow. night. And then I got another 3000 before I lost this, the, uh, left the space last night. So I took like 18,000 steps yesterday. <laughs> Amazing. There's a long story of why Chris is asking me that, guys. Right. I had a really I recorded crazy... a bunch of it. Did you? Maybe that will be maybe. the story at the end. Uh, maybe that'll be the You guys will get to hear about me um. trying to get my backpack back. Backpack, backpack. Uh, oh, I wanted to ask you about this. How'd the Sober August go? It went really good. So I didn't drink all of August. I really didn't drink the, the end of July um, into the first week mm-hmm. of September. Um, and it went really good. It made me feel um, a little bit more grounded and like I do have control over my drinking habits. And it also forced me to go deep with myself. Um, I think it's really easy to just, and I said this before, but just make yourself a cocktail and go to sleep. Right. But actually having to like sit in my sadness or my grief or like make myself process what I was feeling and why I was feeling that way instead of just picking up a drink. Um, was really good for me. And it's also like really good to know that like I'm not an alcoholic and that's yeah. not to damn anybody that struggles with alcoholism. Um, but that's like a scary thought. So the fact that I could go cold sober for a month yeah. and be totally fine was it, it was affirming for which me. Which is like which is in a way is really saying like to be fine with yourself. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Maybe we can start drinking while we do this again. <laughs> I actually have a bottle of vodka in my bag right now, which makes me feel really bad. But I, I worked at a space last night where they had a party and they were just giving out vodka at the end of the night. What? And they asked me if I wanted one. And I was like, yes, before she could even finish the sentence. <laughs> so I have That's vodka so in my backpack right now. <laughs> cool. Um, so I had to, we had a little bit of a discussion about representations of other non-white Jesuses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> non-white Jesus. Yeah, that's the right plural. Yeah. Um, two episodes ago, we were talking about how it's mostly white Jesus. And then last episode, we, we added a correction where it's like, there are non-white depictions of Jesus. Right. Um, I had to cut out some of that discussion from last episode for, for time. So I, I wanted to bring it up a little bit as part of this segment. And some, some depictions that we... Um, uh, that people brought up to us and that we kind of highlighted were the Coptic depiction of Jesus. I think this was the outtake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the Coptic depiction of Jesus. The Coptic church is an ancient Oriental Orthodox church in Egypt, and um, they have a lot of icons of black Jesus. Also, there is a black artist who did the portrait of Obama and of uh, the President Obama and Michelle Obama named Kahinde Wiley, uh, who paints black people in kind of Renaissance uh, iconography poses that we thought were was really cool. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted to talk about how in that episode I said that I didn't really grow up with a lot of depictions of Jesus, which is true in that I didn't grow up with a lot of paintings of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But I did like watch Jesus in the cartoons. Mm-hmm. And also I have always been really into Jesus in the movies. Um, and I was thinking about how I have also seen non, non-white depictions of Jesus on film there's a movie from 2006 called Son of Man, which is – it's a South African movie. Oh. Which kind of puts Jesus in the in the South – in a South African context where he's kind of like a, a community organizer almost. Okay. 
Um, and if I'm remembering this correctly, the way that Jesus dies is that he gets kidnapped in the middle of the night and he gets shot and put in a ditch because that's how you get assassinated in South Africa. And I thought that was... Whoa, like, that's amazing. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. That that's yeah, that's a really unique way to approach the crucifixion. And it's a, it's a really good movie that hardly anybody knows about. Yeah. Andrew's into Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, thank like son. It was called Son of Man. Yeah, uh, yeah. I want to see that. Um, I am coming down on the other side of a, a picnic I've been planning for for a few months um, for our friends in participatory defense. Um, this this movement that's that's national and here in Philly um, is organized around now seven different meeting places um, that we call hubs, um, and they're. They're places for people with open criminal cases to um, get community support, to um, understand the system, and to self-actualize, to be agents in their own case, to know what things that they can do in their own defense. Mm -hmm. And so this picnic was just like a way outside of our meeting places to get together. Like there was, there's no hardline agenda. It was just like, for me, it, it was a way to really meet people in a different way than we do in our meetings, which are pretty serious spaces. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of wanted to see that in a different space, so I, I had a picnic in the park. Um, a few people came. I, I had more food and grills than I think we really needed. <laughs> but um, It was a good time. It mm -hmm. was. It was. Um, and I called it the first annual participatory defense picnic. And people, like, people at the end of the picnic, like, they're, they're taking that to heart they're like we got to do this again <laughs> cool. so i'm pretty psyched about that yeah that was so, a good idea i'm glad that you put that together yeah, yeah thank you is this a moment to talk about turnip all right so uh every year we host a festival called turnip to bail out um which is an opportunity to highlight black artists in the city musical artists um that are in the city that are doing amazing things um while also promoting black businesses and having them come in and sell their amazing goods. We've had folks um, sell their cupcakes and cookies, chili, um, knitted wear. We have all types of things, but it's all about um, highlighting the talents of black Philadelphians while also benefiting black Philadelphians that suffer under the system of mass incarceration here um, because all proceeds go to the Philadelphia Community Bell Fund, which is a grassroots organization in the city um, that raises funds to bail people out of prison um, who are unable to afford it. So Turn Up to Bail Out is November 9th this year, um, and that's from 7 to 11 p.m. at 1125 uh, South Broad Street, our Circle Spaces event venue. Mm -hmm. So if you want to hear amazing musical artists as well as buy some amazing goods, you're going to want to get your tickets as soon as they're on sale in October. Yes. Cool. And if you're too far away to come, you can donate. Yeah. What's that website? org. No, I don't know why I would say .org. It's phillybailout. Dot com. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. Um, thanks to Joe Mahoney, our technical director, for setting up mics and stuff for us. And thanks to Luke Bartolomeo, our communications manager. Our theme song is by Jared Selby, a.k.a. 5, a.k.a. Slow Stitch. <laughs> <laughs>
Stay black, Little Mermaid. (laughs) (laughs) I love that he has that many AKAs. adjust the AC and I think let me, let me go adjust the AC real quick and then we'll move into part two yeah I feel like he's like slamming every single door <laughs> I feel like he was finding doors to slam <laughs> it's like just slamming them 